everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Power Athlete Nation, welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. I am joined with a longtime friend, Logan. From Deuce Gym. How you doing, pal? Great. It's good to talk to you. You took out the ing, ing, ing uh, out of the title. Thanks for noticing. Is that just trimming the fat or? Yeah, uh, 20, 2021, new year, new me. Right. New Respect podcast, that. new yeah. podcast setup. So we're changing a few things. And yeah, we dropped the ing, but it's been, I don't know, what, two weeks since we talked to each other? Yeah, we're fresh. We are fresh, and it was an amazing experience. I got back out on the road. Logan invited the the team here to take the show on the road, return to Venice Beach, and put on a clinic, literally, for his <laughs> coach's prep. That's right. And man, how, did we, how did we do? You, you probably saw some of the most athletic people you maybe have ever. You know, I get you're in the weight room football lacrosse but that i mean we probably i mean we didn't run the 40 but i feel like you could just coach's eye wise i mean i don't know i don't know how many scholarships you would have handed out is what i'm saying but you know anyway well the scholarships that your coaches will now earn their athletes (laughs) has certainly upticked from that three-hour clinic experience that they got with (laughs) yours truly And awesome conversations off of, uh, from dinner, a couple dinners with you, man, and, and always a great time to explore. And one of the topics I wanted to bring to the podcast and share with all of our listeners and fellow fitness enthusiasts and coaches out there is what we discussed and experienced firsthand with your coach's prep class was the life cycle of a coach. The first question that I posed to your coaches was simply, all right, tell me your name, where you're from, and I need two pieces of information. What was your first ever coaching job, and what are you doing now? The purpose of that question was, I'm flying in. It's been a long time since I've been on the road. I know you can tell me about these people, but I need to grasp their coaching experience to then fine-tune the message to the audience, right? Know your audience. That was the mission there, and your coach's prep group, the collective, the team, had a crazy wide variety of experiences, and so that just burned the like brought the question up of let's talk about the life cycle of a coach because they're on their coach's journey. For sure, Mm -hmm. for sure. And when you when you shared with me, uh, you know that we'd be talking about this exact topic. I kind of, I kind of jump at it because, um, you know, for many people, the life cycle of a coach has a common abrupt dead end, you know? And Mm so I think maybe we can talk about, uh, where this thing starts for most everyone. And then, uh, as it progresses forward, how maybe their, their perspective, whether it's, you know, short-sighted or, has a long play in mind where it can really get jammed up. 
but you know, when you ask that question around the room, I was learning things in, in the group that I didn't know before, you know, and it was humble beginnings and diverse beginnings. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a road that I think many folks share, um, a familiar start to, uh, but for whatever reason, I have opinions about this, but for whatever reason, some people punch through and others don't, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the, we, we have different experiences, similar, but yet different. Uh, our coach's journey began as athletes, which then led to an enthusiasm for, for lifting weights, running fast, and that team atmosphere that fitness brought. But at the same time, I went the, the collegiate strength and conditioning route, and you took a, a fitness track. But then here we are, wound up yeah. on the same road where we are educating and empowering the futures, future coaches of the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the beginning for any coach um, matters much less than this idea that I think all roads should lead to this sort of increase of, of expertise and, and most importantly, uh, an increase in your ability to communicate that expertise. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, my experience, just to speak to that personally, you talk about like you being an athlete and then sort of transitioning into coaching most of my desire to coach strength and conditioning in the sort of private sector was um driven by like dissatisfaction you know i mean i sort of observed like a weird a weird dynamic in fitness as an industry and an opportunity to bring what i believe was more of a truth and i think um, that truth probably sounded or the intention was very similar to what you were trying to do in a collegiate weight room, uh, except college has no qualms about the, the goals there. It's, it's best practices or, or busts, right? And so I think fitness is this weird place where maybe best practices aren't always um, rewarded, you know? And so that's, that's how I went that way. But I think we probably share a general ethos that better is better mm -hmm. and, and great training isn't, uh, uh, isn't something that we need to like mince words about overcomplicate, you know, uh, build a genre for the sake of uniqueness, you know? Yeah. Or battle, argue, fight, play politics yeah. and yeah. a lot of the unnecessary barriers that a lot of coaches face and then choose to stop doing a career that they love and enjoy because of some form of man-made barrier in there, yeah. despite of the amount of people that they've empowered, taught, or even inspired to become coaches themselves. Yeah. I mean, forgive me if I jam up your timeline, because this jumps uh, ahead of being brand new at coaching, but but you mentioned to our group something that I thought was really important and it really helps me at, at times that a message like this would come from someone other than myself, mm -hmm. which was you spoke to the selfish coach, you know, you spoke yep. to this, this behavior in a coach who is a, 
maybe a little bit of in the baseball world we call a, a show me guy or a show me girl. It's like, uh, you know, all eyes on me. Let me, let me show you a great hustle when people are watching kind of thing. And um, in your example, you were talking about this kind of cheerleader mentality, the person who's got something to say, but there's nothing really behind it. Uh, and it. And it's all for them. And the reason why I bring this up is to me, one of the biggest forks in the road of this, we'll call it a life cycle of a coach, is uh, uh, it's found inside of a paradox. You know, coaching is this, on one hand, pursuit of mastery. And on the other hand, uh, a, a humility that recognizes that no one cares about your mastery. And, and what I mean, let me clarify, what I mean by that is the ego of the coach who is pursuing mastery can, can miss the forest for the trees often. And it's how it's presented is if I, Logan, am coaching you, Tex, and a bunch of your teammates, that if I'm such a good coach, if I do a really great job, you will read the textbooks that I read, and you will go to the seminars that I go to, and you will care about the things that I care about. And that is a great disservice to you who's trying to win on Friday or trying to lose 20 pounds or trying to, you know, feel better about him or herself. Right. And it's a, it is a paradox because in order to be great, you have to go down the road of mastery, but also simultaneously holding this awareness that your role is um, specifically providing for these people that you're coaching. And so it's like an ego uh, and humility at the same time. And it creates all these dead ends because coaches, um, you know, become an authority figure in people's lives. It is an ego blast and they build, um, they build a fence around what is possible. You know, it's impossible to work with you. It's impossible to scale your business because you're the guy or you're the gal. Uh, it's impossible to, create sustainability and training because everything revolves around you. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a tricky spot, you know? And so, and, and, and last thing I'll say about that paradox is uh, it's extra tricky because just being a humble coach doesn't get you very far either. You know, you got to have enough gusto to go down the rabbit holes of getting actually good at this, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I find that that is like, that's the purgatory, you know, a lot of people can get there and screw it up and just be a burnt out trainer who ran out of hours in the day, you know, who can't build something bigger than themselves. Uh, but very few can be good enough to transcend that and, and have a humility to, to see what the role might actually be. Yeah, the at power athlete, we call that panage, but I like the gusto. The, yeah, fair. Yeah, most recent course that I was able to, to put together and put out was our, our trainer course. In our Power Athlete Academy, we offer the power athlete methodology, which is specific towards unlocking athletic potential and that performance mindset. 
The idea is a coach that you can take an athlete where they can't take themselves, meaning starting position, scholarship, or their sport coach wrote them off, they're going to come to you to develop and unlock this athletic potential to then be that third string story that goes through puberty in an offseason and comes back and earns the starting position. The most recent course, however, was trainer course and not taking a negative context of the term trainer, like personal trainer, that is more of a, a behavior approach. Rather than performance is focused on behavior and the real light bulb moment that separates the two tracks is as a, a coach, my objective was a long time to get athletes in the weight room at, at the college level, get athletes to see performance, movement, drive, desire, passion, like I saw it, because I was working with level, a, a level of athlete division one that I never reached, and I wanted them to value their allotment as much as I did as their coach, and that, that led to a lot of burnout and led to some political barriers, but the realization now with a trainer, it's not, okay, let's get this individual person with this specific goal of movement or losing weight or yeah, I, I got to be here. My doctor told me to do this. So a different population than performance. So now as a trainer, I need to be in a position to communicate to them. All right, well, this is how I see it. I'm going to talk to them and then find out this disconnect. Where are they? How do they see fitness, goals, behavior, movement, training, exercise, all this good stuff? And now I need to bring myself there. So that was the biggest revelation, the difference between the two, and all, honestly, that, that humility. But at the same time, hell, man, I can step into any weight room, any time, any sport, and then s turn the switch for expectation, performance, and taking an athlete where they can't take themselves. But, I mean, that was a decade in the industry to realize, hey, there are different populations. I can't just be this one-trick coach yeah. and... Yeah, man, it took me a long time to get there, and that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a coach, as a trainer, as a leader for my population. Yeah, I think, you know, any any self-respecting coach can turn back the clock, I mean, shoot, uh, you know, three years, five years, for sure, 10 years, and be a bit embarrassed about the training that they were leading and the, you know, the, the level uh, that they were at at the time, you know, hindsight's 2020. And I think that's sort of in terms of like actionable steps to anybody who's interested in this, this conversation or this topic um, is uh, you know, we know from development that we're, we're only as good as the model to which we're we're mimicking, right? We are attempting, right? When you when you step into a room, whether you realize it or not, you have the same experience that I do, which is I am uh, attempting a projection of a coach, right? I'm walking in and I'm gonna do the coach role as I know it. Short shorts, high socks, right? Yeah. Yeah, the tuck. We're gonna <laughs> go practice plan in front, all caps on the whiteboard. You get it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, now hopefully uh, over time, your model, your, your mental representation, former 
power athlete podcast guest, Anders Ericsson will tell you, uh, is improving over time. The mental representation of what you're trying to achieve gets better and better and better and better. Uh, but, you know, uh, sometimes we can't afford to have a poor model for 10 years or 12 years or 15 years, right? And if you are mimicking an ineffective expression of a coach, uh, not only will you suffer, but all the people that you are, are coaching suffer. And so it's sort of like, begs the question like well what do we do about this and i think it really invites a, a bit of a cliched topic but but mentorship you know like can you surround yourself with the types of coaches that would change your view of what this role is and and i say that uh, which seems obvious um but i can't really underscore it enough because a lot of our projections today are being created in the information age with the information that we're exposed to, which is highly visual, it's like highly social media driven, et cetera. And so a lot of the projections of any coach listening to this are biased and informed on these sort of like alleged finished product kind of end state flashy type expressions of a coach. And I don't, unless I try to invite you over to my house and eat dinner with you, I don't understand more of the nuance of how you text got to be where you are. Right. And, and learn about, Oh, fuck. what it means to be a great coach includes things that I uh, have not been privy to. Right. And um, you know, in, in my world, like the micro gym world, it's just pandemic level gnarly you know, because the role of coach is an Instagram job, right? Mm -hmm. And so it leaves out so much of what was a part of, let's say, my model for what the job of coaching is, because when I learned it, it was from people who were uh, on the computer some and taking out the trash also, and right, and doing these things that just aren't in the in the field of view now, you know? And so I think we're, we all should be uh, sort of like collecting a better and better model of, of what the hell we're trying to be. You know? Yeah. The, one of our famous taglines is coach needs a coach. And That's right. Encouraging other people, especially with, within the power athlete block one coach network to go out, get your CSCS, take coaches prep, expose yourself to different coaching experiences, different athletes, goals, different levels, whether it's really high at the professional level or combine down to the middle school movement, fitness, physical education realm, and aim to see the connections that we, we teach within our, our methodology. How we accomplish that is through principles. And I know we align views in that respect. And in terms of the life cycle of a coach, I saw this often at the, the college level where the life cycle begins for a lot of coaches is at the, the programming level. So they start to write workouts. They start to write these beautiful spreadsheet programs that then they hand up to their, their coach Turleys of the world and ask them for feedback, even though no athlete will ever actually try on that program 
And that's, that's the interesting thing and in how we attack that through a principle-based approach of strength and conditioning is not denying the programming, but teaching programming through biological laws. So overload, reversibility, and things that we can't deny but are expressed through a training program. And that was the, a lot of the stuff that we teach in the methodology was my battle for how coaches were trained and prepared and educated at the, the college level. Master's degree individuals who then are taking internships and receiving poor mentorship from college coaches, mostly yeah. because they're burnt out. Their time yeah. is short. They want to get the hell out of there and, and spend time with their families. And they got some kid that's very hungry, has nothing, but wants just simple feedback on a workout or a training program. And it's the system's yeah. broken, dude. Yeah, and I think, you know, I got to be careful to say something like it's true and it's just my opinion, but um, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on this because that is a great point about this programming heavy emphasis. You know, there's some naturally occurring reasons why that shows up that you mentioned people are short on time it's hard to get real life reps um you know and then you borrow from the, the functional fitness world this obsession on the programming uh even saying that word comes with a little bit of vomit in the back of my throat uh because there's this obsession about the the programming that is best uh you guys made famous the that's you know, still the, going on it's still going on, dude. Um, it's not outlaw anymore, by the way. It's going to get you there. It's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Believe oh, it or not. Extreme outlaw. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> I'm what's like a, what's like a frontier outlaw. I guess outlaw is the frontier version of a, a crook criminal. Yeah. It's just more is, is better is the main thing. <laughs> oh it, yeah. But, it's not. <laughs> yeah. You getting hurt on that program. It's not you. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. or it's not the program. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that community had a whole era. I'm going on a tangent here, but there, there was a whole era where um, volume is what won. So you just have a stable of athletes. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the Chinese approach, right? It's like, you just have a thousand athletes and then if they die, they die. But the, the one or two that survived the training uh, end up winning. So uh, I think we've moved past that, but there's still an obsession with, with this programming focus. And um, to your point, here's the part that I'm a little bit nervous about saying as a truth, but I, I, for me, I, I think this is partly what's happening is that when you put the X's and O's of training on a pedestal, it's a bit, it can be a bit, of, um, it can be a bit of a, defense mechanism right because um as a as a coach if it's if it's all about um finding the right matrix uh then there's not a lot of responsibility on the individual who's in front of the room mm -hmm. and you know i think you would agree i'm interested in, in your thought i have this firm belief. And I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm telling this to a person who is passionate about training and, and teaches people all around the world how to write a great program. And this isn't that hard. It's not that hard. It doesn't need to be that hard. It, it, it doesn't need to be that complicated. 
And for 99.999% of people that you will ever train, they will arrive at 99.99999% of their uh, peak potential, potential they never thought that they would ever realize on this earth with uh, training that um, is not that specific. It's just not that difficult. You don't need to take into account their astrological sign and if they're left-handed or right-handed and if they live in a two-story house or a one-story house and what, you know, it's just, and and it, I think it's, it's a distraction and it's a distraction to your ability to be the person in the room and to captivate change and basically do what, what, what we describe as setting a standard, communicating that standard, and then bringing people closer to the standard. It's, it's coaching on the floor. And, 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 and uh, as long as we put this, this programming thing on a pedestal, you have people who can recite to you, you know, uh, mobility wad, uh, uh, or the supple leopard, or they can recite to you super training, but they cannot evoke change in a person. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands more coaches today that know more information than any coach has ever known mm -hmm. 30 years ago. But wh where's all the fitness at? Where's all the strength at? Where's all the speed at? You know, yeah. I 100% agree. And that why we are here is to take people where they can't take themselves, whether that is with the, the behavior or getting them to, to have a, a level self-esteem in which they can take coaching, they can take criticism and then apply it to themselves to get better. I mean, it's the, it is the definition of a selfish coach saying, this is the, the perfect program, go ahead and apply it. And the unfortunate thing is they will not grow past that they will hit that barrier hit that wall within their career their their development because you know people will stop listening to them or they'll find a new outlaw training program you know so it's yeah. it is an unfortunate uh and man we see it at different ranks not just the 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 functional fitness realm i imagine it it hits all fitness communities as probably other careers that i have no experience in um the my question now is like who who was your first coach or teacher or mentor that helped you realize there is more to this this profession that there is a responsibility for you once people are lined up in front of you and listening to you and you are leading them yeah i mean in the gym i felt like i kept winning the lottery you know uh I, so i played uh, baseball at the university of san diego where you know we had head strength coaches like you mentioned shannon turley who went on to champions sports performance program at stanford uh pure technician culture guy systems guy brilliant mind um you know ncaa strength coach of the year twice, I think, um, Shannon Turley. So early, uh, flow master with, with CrossFit, um, you know, and then all of his assistants, you know, Casey and Natalie Bergner and JP Bolwan and all these people that are sort of masters in their own right now were around. But if I'm being honest with you, 
the context there, and you can relate to this at the NCAA level, is I'm in this room for 55 minutes to get bigger, faster, stronger, so I can go do the thing that matters. And mm -hmm. so there wasn't a lot of, in the moment, uh, sort of inspiration beyond. Uh, of course, years later, you come back around and then you, you have the coffees and you, you share the conversations that do that. But the first person that really changed my perspective to your question about training and what, um, how expansive it is, is, um, you know, when I came up to Los Angeles to get into the gym business, I was told to intern with a guy by the name of Andy Petronic. Who's a uh, former Marine, uh, eco challenge athlete. Uh, he opened like the ninth CrossFit affiliate ever. And um, it was there that I was introduced to a, a worldview that stays with me today. Now, I got to say that this has a bias towards maybe fitness and a bias towards business. But he was so clear in the marketplace about this idea that training is free. And it was such a radical idea because at the time, most micro gyms and most trainers without saying this were selling you workouts, right? It would kind of be like, Hey, welcome to this gym. We have a proprietary rep scheme here <laughs> that you're really going to love. Right. And in the information age, 16, 10, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. One rep more. And you know, like I said, in this information age, uh, you can get training anywhere. The books are all available. All the information's out there. He was the first person that said fitness is free. You're paying this crazy amount of money for a membership you've never seen before for coaching. And at that time, that was pretty edgy, man. Yeah. I, and, I love it and, still. And, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. And so we look every single person in the face at Deuce Gym and, and try to make that paradigm shift, which is you think you're coming here for hard workouts. Uh, there's harder ones. Probably uh, I can give you a couple addresses, you know, you're coming here to be coached. Just like, you, you know, you go to university, you have a professor, you got a team of professors here, they have office hours, they're here to coach you. And uh, of course, we'll do some training along the way. And that was like, in terms of creating value, uh, maybe the, the biggest moment uh, of, of shifting the view about training. Yeah, that is that is pretty powerful. And I imagine it puts you in a position to then eventually those light bulbs to go off to realize the lessons that great coaches you had in your, your sports and training career led you to. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, of course. And then you circle back and you try to take all those guys out and pick their brain as much as they have, they have time for and see what they were doing to us, for us, with us on a daily, weekly basis to create the sort of, the ecosystem for mm -hmm. the experience that was happening. And, you know, I was going to say this earlier uh, and it, it sort of dovetails perfectly with that because what I just said was for four years at the university level and then two years at the professional level, I was around quality strength coaches that I didn't really 
appreciate, I guess is the right word. You know, I'm not going home being like, damn, Coach Turley just, you know, that that wasn't the feeling. Uh, And the reason why I say that is the question I was going to ask you earlier is I think the role of coach is a lot like these other roles, um, like, let's say, referee. What's a great referee in lacrosse like? And I'm going to answer for you while you think about it. The best referee is the one that you don't notice. Uh-huh. You know, if you're all eyes on the referee during March Madness, it's for not a good reason, right? Same thing with umpires, right? The masters of that thing sort of fall back and the show goes on and they are sort of pulling strings and keeping flow and holding holding space for standards and rules and things and that to me is like true true mastery you know we've all seen the referees that want to make it about them or the umpires who are who are not prepared for the task and we all suffer Mm -hmm. you know and so i think it's a job like that right mastery of it set up and set free and the why I appreciate a coach's journey is you hopefully run into coaches that are the opposite of that, that really are over the top and jump out and just make you cringe a little bit in that, Oh, that's, that's how you do it. Oh, okay. But then have enough wherewithal to have another coach in your journey that, okay. Yeah. He says that's no bueno. Here's why. And has a purpose behind it. Uh, I've been in Division One weight rooms in which the walls are painted with the professional athletes that attended said university, and the coaches take claim to those individuals' successes rather than you know they they say, "Hey, I sent 13 people to the the show," and then you meet individuals who yeah they are responsible for many of the athletes' successes, and they're just in the shadows given all the praise and credit to the individual, you know, they did all the hard work. Like I, yeah. I just counted reps and it yeah. has some quippy joke, man. I love coach humor, by the way. And Turley's <laughs> one of the best based off some of the stories you shared. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. You know, I think one thing that's coming to mind, uh, because I think we're, we're talking about the life cycle of the coach in, in a couple different contexts, you know, do you ever, do you ever worry about the accountability structure for a coach in, I I said the private sector earlier, but let's just say like in the business world uh, versus team sports, because in a lot of ways there is something there with this notion that, you know, you're coaching 30 guys on a ball ball club. They got to be there whether they enjoy you or not. Mm-hmm. but when people are paying you a couple hundred bucks a month for a membership, maybe they don't have to be there. Now, of course the collegiate world and the performance world has accountability structures that are really unfortunate. Meaning you can do a great job and get fired when the head coach leaves. Yeah. Right. But uh, it is an interesting perspective, you know, in terms of accountability to be accountable to like a, a marketplace, meaning, yeah, you got got to do a great job and, you know, maintain a rapport with a population of people that can opt out at any moment. Oh, I have a a great take on this. And that this is an excuse I had as a sports performance coach 
and why I, I loved and appreciate it. They got to show up. They're invested and all that. I was using that as an excuse for when I was in the, the pub, the private sector, like the CrossFit fitness realm, Callie and I at CrossFit DuPont RIP, where they had that voluntary attendance, even though they were paying the bills in an affluent area, they didn't have to show up. So my inability to connect to just your average Joe, I was saying, oh, they're not invested in, in blaming them. But that was an early coaching misstep and mistake. I was getting mad at people for not participating and caring as much as I did in the, the fitness realm, the private sector. Unfortunate reality is I needed to find the non-invested people and figure out why or how I could adjust my, my change, my demeanor, my demand more mm -hmm. towards them rewriting their goals or recreating a vision that included, oh, this is part of my routine. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to turn my, my lifestyle into a movement-based one versus just, oh, I got to get to the gym. Crap. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So I, I use that as, as an excuse early in my career. Now flip-flopping and being, being able to read the athlete. And this goes to one of the empowerment promises I gave at the presentation to your, your Deuce Gym uh, coaches prep guys was that number one, the number one thing is being able to relate to an athlete, whether they are a peak performer, high division one, potential professional or Olympian, or just a person wandering in off the street because they're like, oh, that looks awesome. It's still mm -hmm. relating to them and having the ability to identify that quickly and give them what they need to then get them moving. Yeah, that's the the EQ part of it, isn't it? Yes. You know, the, um, yeah, the, uh, the rigorous kind of nature of business is is tough and i think that we got to be careful i think uh some sometimes i'll i'll mention that fit, uh, coaching we'll say being a trainer is one of the easiest ways to be an authority over other people and so just a warning for certain types of personalities who are attracted to this thing it's like water right if you're an egomaniac it's a great place to flex that that ego right for not that much education not that much time not that many barriers to entry uh people will look to you and subvert to you and uh if we're not careful you know you can have a lot of finger pointing and blame uh, away from you as to why your business isn't successful why people are not compliant to your training why people don't buy in, uh, et cetera, you know? And so I think, um, you know, kind of what I'm getting at is like, you know, we got to know the shadows of our, our role ahead of time. So we can kind of just be aware of, Hey, left to my own devices, I'm going to think I'm an expert and I'm going to blame anybody who doesn't get it. Okay. Well, that's, that's a, not a strong business play. No. Right. You know, and so uh, I'm going to use my IQ, fitness IQ, training IQ to sort of make judgments about others as to why my business or coaching practice is failing or something like that. Um, and I think that goes back to the paradox that we talked about earlier. Right. B 
be the master and also relate to people who cannot, will not, and should not uh, care about the things that you care about, right? Your, your, your job is not that. Your job is to provide them what it is that they need and you stay over there in your lane as the yeah. movement nerd. Yeah. <laughs> and communicate it in that, if the communicate movement or coaching or the program or the things you're enthusiastic about to their temperament and their level of understanding yeah. versus getting all jiggy and excited. And then they're just going over their head and okay. Yeah. When, when is this conversation going to be over? I got to get back to exercising. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, do you remember what I said to, I said a couple things, but do you remember what I said to the, the room after I was sort of thanking you, you, you wrapped up your whole, your whole uh, clinic and you know, I sort of, I don't pull this card that often, but it's important. And, and it was a, a humble jab to the room because you, you, you know, I, I know you, you well, and I've seen you do your thing several times and you have a masterful ownership of the material that you teach. Uh, and being asked to do that in a three hour condensed block was, was an effort inside of your, your scope but it was an effort and everyone in the room, I know that they felt that. I know that they're just, they're taking in information at a velocity that they had to respect, right? And in the moment when you wrapped up, I sort of went in front of the room and I acknowledged the material. And I said, hey, how about what's on this board and what we learned this weekend, you know, clap it out, right? Everybody's like, oh, fuck yeah, you know? Especially the younger coaches, right? Early in that life cycle, it feels like they're standing at the bottom of a mountain looking up and there's no way they're going to get to the top. Right. And I said, incredible material. And I said, imagine you had that, all of that already. Like everything you heard was just like, yep, I already knew it. Yep, for sure. Got it. Imagine you had all that information in, in your mind, in your repertoire, which none of you have. That was the jab, which none of you have. Imagine you had it all and how flat it would fall on the audience if you couldn't communicate it in the way that it was just communicated. So one, not only do you have so far to go on the IQ part, two, the mastery of the EQ part of delivering a compelling message to get people to care about this is just as important of uh, a responsibility. And I think that was like, you know, a, a right hook, left jab, one-two punch, you know, that I think needs to be felt, right? Of like both in, in tandem, because um, quite frankly, uh, the work that it takes to understand what you know about training and what you shared with the room about training for those three hours um, is uh, necessary, but not sufficient mm -hmm. to grab the room and take them where you want them to go, you know? And I think we're, we might forget that if all we're doing is looking at Instagram or swapping programming notes. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I'll give all credit to, to two guys. Number one, well-born for the opportunity and two, the, the, my mentor hands down and gentlemen, I did a four month apprenticeship with that is impossible to replicate with the 
world-class athletes that we were working with and the highest level military individuals he was working with, but Rafael Ruiz. And I re remember signing what Raf called a pipe pledge. And I still hold myself to that standard and think about it before opportunities like you gave me to speak and simple pipe pledge presence, intelligence quotient, professionalism, and emotional quotient. And that being able to relate to the athletes and ability to recognize and lead the mental and emotional state of not only the individual and a team and the command of an athlete or a team's psychology of discomfort. Like that has nothing to do with writing a program, sets and reps and any of that, but choosing the right loads to drive the emotional response of an individual because when the literal bullets start flying or they're on the, the platform at the pool of the 2016 Olympics or, I mean, just the opportunity to step up to the plate at their high school baseball game, all of that is real. So you're preparing for that emotional response. And I have to model that as a coach. I have to find the right words to, to twist and to jab uh, in a respectful way that then prepare them for the person who means it across the dugout. So all of these tools I was able to absorb from, from Marie's, but then this is this reverberation of coaching and performance. It's now I sign that pledge. It's my responsibility that every person, coach, athlete, anyone that I work with is to essentially have them sign that pledge just through me, not as literally pen to paper, like I was signing my soul over to the, the Ruiz. I, raff, I, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh that he was the, the League of Shadows, right? When <laughs> freaking Batman Begins, Bruce Wayne gave it all up to go train with Liam Neeson, very yeah. representative. I went to Ruiz because my career at the collegiate level hit a glass ceiling. People were getting promotions that, that I felt should not have above me or opportunities or people were giving uh, jobs away at different colleges that I was honestly the, I mean, in my opinion, the perfect candidate for getting passed up. So hit this ceiling and just threw it all away to make no money to go learn and essentially turn professional as a coach. And he put me through the ringer, but came out on the other end. And that's basically what I do with any blog, podcast, clinic, teaching, and there's still things that I need to figure out. As I mentioned, humbling myself to your, to your group of understanding the, the sport coach. So going back to that world and working with amateur sport coaches to see the biases, how they communicate, the things they should not do, or that we would, you know, fire them if they were working under us, but now I got to work under mm -hmm. them. So really just now trying to further understand this communication up, down, around different realms, but still related to a passion with just movement and sport and, um, man, finding ways to then turn it into content, communication and education for parents, coaches, teachers out there so that they can empower their kids, their youth, their athletes in some shape or form. And bottom line, all this to say, hey, guys, just squat toes forward. Trust me. 
I'll go through the <laughs> ringer. You just squat toes right. forward. That's right. Yeah, when you share that you were um, taking on the challenge of, of coaching the youth um, lacrosse team, it, it didn't surprise me. You know, it's like that's that's kind of challenging the edge of communication. That it's like an endless, it's an endless thing that we we need to keep pursuing you know and uh, for some people it is it is putting them in front of the room coaching other coaches you know talk about a life cycle of a coach mm-hmm. uh, at some point the rawest edge that's ripe for growth is really having enough dominion over the material to communicate to someone who is less ignorant I mean we we get the benefit of uh, not to be demeaning to the people that we coach, but to coach ignorant people, you know, mm-hmm. like I just, I want to score goals or I want to lose belly fat. You know, I don't know shit about anything. Right. And oh, you got to leg up on those people all day, you know, to the point where most personal trainers just make shit up and it sounds great. And no one is the wiser. Right. But, but to travel around the world, like you do coach other coaches who are coming with a, with a increased awareness, increased knowledge is a growth area. And now that's probably a little bit easy for you. Right. So now oh, where do I go next? Uh, can I coach this to people who are, you know, in eighth grade, you know, like, Oh shit. You know? So I think very few people are actively pursuing that edge. You know, we talked a lot about in the coaches prep, just using basic, understanding of deliberate practice you know what's requisite of that continued growth is a stretch goal to be in an environment that will stretch one's ability and there are so many coaches frankly um, just because of circumstance that are listening to this right now that are accumulating reps for sure more hours they'll do thousands of hours this year uh, and not get better because those hours the environment that they're in is not one that is is stretching their ability and there's there's an assumption there you know every uh long time personal trainer can't wait to tell you they've been doing it for 25 years but yeah. the, you know the, the same thing is true for that profession that is true that we know in the literature about um, surgeons and other high skill craft professions is unless we intervene with environments of development um we actually get worse over time. And just because you're coaching the 7 a.m. GPP class one more time doesn't mean you're getting better at it in the same way that your driving didn't get any better this year or your handwriting or any of these other things that we do in a non-developmental way, you know? And so, you know, if, if anything, we started this conversation talking about improving your model for what is this projection of coaching and you're listening to an individual like Tex who is seeking out an edge of communication in youth sport, because quite frankly, you know, flying to Venice on a Saturday to teach other motivated coaches about fitness is so far in your back pocket, you know, that you got to grow in other ways, you you know? Yeah, but it's still fun. It's still fun for sure. I, Mm -hmm. I just, I just commend you for choosing environments that are, going to move your capacity outward you know well i'm not the only one on this call that does that well we discussed some opportunities you're creating for a lot of individuals out there what what outside of the coaches prep outside of the juice deuce gym experience 
are you creating for others getting into the fitness industry? Well, yeah, fitness wise, the newest thing is um, we've built a, you know, uh, 501c3 nonprofit uh, to address uh, folks affected by the criminal justice system, basically incarcerated folks or formerly incarcerated folks, uh, the homeless and those who are in uh, recovery for substance abuse. And there are some overlap there, but, um, you know, I'm, I've had probably five of the most moving conversations I've ever had in my life in the last six weeks because of this. And, um, you know, using the power of strength and conditioning uh, for individuals who have, in their mind had their life taken from them and have another chance is incredible. I mean, there's a sign, uh, there's one sign on the gate at, at Deuce and it says motivated people only. I, I can't tell you, uh, I've met anyone more motivated than someone who, you know, got a murder charge at 17 and is out 18 years later and is almost killed in a couple prison riots and has a chance to do something with their life. And uh, you look someone like that in the face who is the most polite, most motivated, most um, on fire person you've ever met in your life and recognize that um, there's a lot of people that would benefit from uh, the exposure to what we do on a daily basis. And so that, that's a big, big part of it. We got a uh, coaches prep and business prep in the prison system in Colorado uh, as a prison in New York we're working on. And uh, basically um, last thing I'll say about that is having a model is how we started this conversation. Um, a lot of the guys I talked to who have been in prison for more than a decade uh, tell me if they knew that they could be someone like Campbell Lillard or Tony Dam done a 10 year sentence or longer could get out into the world and be a professional strength coach and make money and live in a house and drive a car and, and be under the barbell. They would have that person in a poster in their cell, but they don't think that that's a thing. And so we are through mentorship developing that, that model for people who are, in my opinion, the most motivated people I've ever met. People helping people. That's Help right. Stuff. That's right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, how Logan, you feeling? Uh, I feel great. The uh, yeah, we covered a lot of bases, and there's that's the beauty of the fitness industry. There is infinite possibility. There is no one route to find success. Whether it's your own gym, your own small business, your own virtual training programming, or hell, all the creative and fun stuff that Deuce and Power Athlete have put out into the world. Hell, man, we know both of our, our teams are just getting started. So That's right. thank you thank you for your time, brother. What, Dude, thank, uh, thank you. What do people need to know if they want to check out Coach's Prep, if they want to see your social? You are the king of social media, after all. <laughs> yeah, um, so deucegym.com, uh, 
if you do forward slash university, uh, that's where all the online education's at. Um, the Hold the Standard Summit is back live. LA and Barcelona, that was postponed last year. So um, a lot of a lot of ways to get, you know, uh, some education uh, either remotely or in person. And um, yeah, you can find me at Functional Coach on Instagram and Twitter. Boom. And there you have it, Dude. Power Athlete Nation. Thanks to Logan and happy Thank you. opening day eve. Opening day eve. Dude, that's right. Baseball, thank God. Real sports. <laughs> We're gonna be all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, We're gonna uh, make it. Uh, as long as the Astros make the playoffs, I'll be a happy man. So you're still in the they're still in the league or what it wasn't there's not a banning or a like a shunning or what? No. Carlos, no. Carlos Beltran, the ringleader, he lost his job as the, the Mets manager. So they took care of business. Oh, they got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I wonder if the if the team is going to hit above the Mendoza line just as a unit. I uh, mean, well, we'll see. Just, I'll be, I'll be in the stands because fans are coming back. This is Texas okay. after all. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'll, I'll tell you this as someone who used to try to do that for work. Um, <laughs> a big part of it is that, you know, the pitcher can throw whatever pitch they want, which is, which is the hell of it, man. But, uh, you know, if you know what's coming, it's just a different sport. Anyway, um, I wish you guys the best of luck this year. You're right. I agree. You still got to hit the ball. Good point, Logan. Thank you very much for supporting the Houston Astros in the 2017 World Series, which is still counts, my friend. Okay. Asterisks. <laughs> Astros. That's right. That's right. That's right. Dude, that's, right. this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, dude. We'll talk soon. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!